Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 24, and said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, the Lord just got finished saying that he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. He says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you're going to come after me, you must learn to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now the blessing upon not only the reading of thy word, but the preaching. Lord, help me this morning that I might be able to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. May you be honored and glorified, and may you show your children this morning Lord, the divine blessings which are hid in this divine exhortation. Lord, the blessings of denying ourselves to have more of Christ and the riches of taking up our cross that we might follow Him. May you be honored and glorified in all that we say and do this morning. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. There are a few words in our text that I wish to bring to your attention before we begin this morning, and they are the following. Christ says, if any man will come after me, and closes this verse with, and follow me. Come after me, follow me. There lies... In these words of Christ, dearly beloved, divine balm sweeter than that of the balm of Gilead, if you know your Old Testament. One which makes the bitter waters of self-denial and cross-bearing sweeter than the waters of Moriah, which is in Exodus chapter 15. You know, the Hebrew writers claim that the tree which Moses cast into those bitter waters to make them sweet was even more bitter than the waters themselves, making the miracle even greater. And so too, listen closely, the miracle and splendor of the cross of Christ which is eternally more bitter than any cross we could ever bear. Yet when considering our cross that we are exhorted to take up in the light of His glorious cross, like that bitter tree Moses cast into the bitter waters, our cross is made sweeter than honey. It's all how we look 
at these things. Christ had just declared, He said He began to explain to them that He's going to suffer many things and He's going to be killed and raised again. And Peter withstood Him and rebuked Him. And Christ uses that to give us this exhortation that if you're going to follow Me, if you're going to come after Me, then you're going to have to learn the divine instruction, the divine exhortation, the divine lesson of denying yourself and taking up your cross. But in doing that, never lose sight of the divine blessing and truth that it's after me and following me that you're doing that. Bane and blessing, we sang, in the cross of Christ. Bane and blessing, pain and pleasure by the cross are sanctified. Peace is there that knows no measure. Where? In the cross of Christ. Do you know how sad and agonizing that cross was? And yet, it says in this hymn, there is no measure of peace found in that cross. Joys, it says, that through all time abide. Now, don't misunderstand me. Our bearing of our cross could never match that of Christ. But as in the cross of Christ, there's a sweet blessedness to be found and seen by the believer. So too in our bearing our cross, there is a sanctifying, blessed process in that. In that old rugged cross, I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly bear. Come after me. Whenever you read this text, let these words always resound in your ears. Come after me. Follow me. For these words create in the heart of every true believer the greatest motivation and desire to gladly deny himself and take up his cross. And yet, strangely enough, they are the very reason why so many professing believers will not deny themselves and take up the cross. In John chapter 6, if you'll remember when Christ was preaching to all his disciples, verse 66, John 6, 66, amazing numbers. The Bible says from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. From that time, many of his disciples went back because of what he had said had been so difficult and hard for them to grasp and walked no more with him. Many will go far with Christ in the beginning. Listen to me closely. Many of you have seen this, experienced this yourselves. I have of, over the last 40 years of being a Christian. Many will go far with Christ at the beginning. Yet if their desires and intentions for following Christ be anything other than for Christ himself and nothing more, they will, because of the hardships and difficulties of the straight and narrow way, turn back never to walk with him again. That is a humble exhortation. 
one which we must observe with great meekness and humility. We must learn to follow Christ for who Christ is and nothing less than that. That's why even in examining this passage of Scripture, we have to look not merely upon the denying of ourselves and the taking up of our cross, but we must look at the goal, the reason, the purpose of our doing that, and it's that we might follow Christ. For the true believer, though the way be straight and narrow, it's not under the difficulty and hardships of the way that we look. We know it's straight and narrow, do we not? If you've been a Christian for very long, you know it's straight and narrow. But we don't look under the difficulties and hardships, but to where and whom this straight and narrow way leads, namely the Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself, but remember, if the goal is greater than the journey, the journey is not difficult. So if Christ is our goal, is to follow Christ is our main priority and our desire and our longing, the difficulty of the way will not hinder us, but encourage us even more. If any man will come after me, there's the significance. We need to listen to that. We need to know that. If any man will come after me, not after the blessings I promise those who follow me, not after all the things I'll give you, not the temporal things, but if any man will come after me, who I am, the person of Christ, if any man will come after me and take up his cross and follow me, Moses, the Bible said, chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That's a sermon in itself. Oh, there's pleasure in sin. That's why it's so powerful, but it's only for a season. It says, Moses chose. Let him deny himself. Moses chose. Oh, Moses didn't have a choice Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy pleasure and sin for a season. Esteeming. He not only chose, he esteemed. He highly regarded. He thought in his mind. He knew. He believed. Esteeming. Highly regarding the reproaches of Christ. Greater riches. Listen to the wording and you'll understand Matthew 16 more. The reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he had respect under the recompense of the reward. Sounds to me like Moses made up his mind. I know that goes against many, many people who believe in the doctrines of grace, but Moses made up his mind. We're not mindless robots under the hand of a sovereign God. 
Moses chose rather to to suffer affliction. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches, and he had respect on the recompense of the reward. Therefore, Moses walked by faith. Christ, who is our greatest example and the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. How could he endure the cross? Well, I, I know that he's God manifest in the flesh. And I know he came down to fulfill as well. But listen to Hebrews. In our place, Christ says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He could endure the cross for the joy that was set before him. You see what I'm talking about? Come after me. Follow me. Always let those words be in high regard when you consider the exhortation found in our text. Otherwise, uh, you'll turn back and walk no more with Christ. It'll be too difficult and too hard. If any man will come after me, if any man will follow me, let him, it's in the words of Christ, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Herein lies Christ's twofold instruction and requirements for any man who would come after him and follow him. This is a twofold requirement. Oh, no, you're, you're, you're laying too much on the responsibility of man. No, Christ, I'm not doing that. Christ is Christ. So if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Listen to the wording. If a man will come, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It appears to me like it's a requirement, isn't it? It's a twofold exhortation which cannot be separated. For one cannot exist without the other. You cannot deny yourself and not take up your cross. That's why the Lord puts them together. Because you'll never take up your cross if you don't know how to deny yourself, and you'll never deny yourself if you know nothing about bearing a cross. They're, it's a two-fold exhortation. They belong together. And Christ said you have to do both of these things, two, these two requirements. These are required if you're going to be my disciple. And I'm not putting words into the text. I'm just reading the text. The Lord said if you don't do these things, you cannot be, in another text, says, you cannot be my disciple. It's impossible. Let him deny himself. Now, what I like so much about this exhortation, as difficult as it is for the flesh, and I want to emphasize that point, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the cross and the denying of self were never intended to be pleasing to the flesh. Just the opposite. Denying yourself is not pleasing to the flesh. Taking up your cross is not pleasing to the flesh. The Lord's not speaking to the flesh. He's speaking to the spirit. But what I love about this exhortation the most is it's an intimate and personal one. If a man will come after Christ, he said it's required that he deny himself. That's personal. Listen to me, it's it's personal. It's intimate. We mentioned this last week. He speaks to all the disciples, but his exhortation is directed to every man and woman individually. So Christ has many disciples 
and though the church as a whole must comfort ourselves together and edify one another, every man looking not on his own things, but every man also on the things of others, First Thessalonians 5, <clears throat> excuse me, and Philippians 2. Yet there remaineth an intimate personal relationship with Christ which we must ourselves cultivate and mature in. Isn't that amazing? I find that amazing in this exhortation. We know how important the church is. We know that we need one another. Ephesians 4, we preached on a few months back, where it talks about how each member helps the other, and, and it's important that we uh, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. But in all of that, dearly beloved, there's an intimate and personal relationship that we have with Christ that we must cultivate and mature in. And Christ told us individually. That makes it such a wonderful, to me, exhortation, because Christ is dealing with me one-on-one. -on -one. He's dealing with you one-on-one. -on -one. You're all my disciples, and yes, you need to love one another as I've loved you. You need to pray for one another, <clears throat> exhort one another daily, but each and every one of you have an individual responsibility, an individual relationship with me that you've got to cultivate and you've got to mature in. If we're going to be enabled to exercise the divine virtues amongst one another, isn't that amazing? Can you think about that? It's just like prayer. You know what really dictates or reveals or proves our public prayer? is our private prayer. If we're not praying in our closets, if we're not closing the door, our public prayers are nothing. They're merely hypocritical. If we're not praying privately, intimately with God, when we pray publicly, we're being hypocritical. But when we pray in our closets, we come out of those closets united as a body of believers and we lift up all those prayers together as, a, as God's people and it's a sweet Savior in the nostrils of God. He loves that. He loves that. Yes, yet he still wants us to have an intimate personal relationship with him in our closet prayers so that when we join together as a group of believers and we unite in prayer and public prayer, it glorifies God. And so it is with the Christian life. He wants us to gather together as the church, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Those things are essential. But, beloved, we also all have a personal, intimate relationship with Christ, and we alone are responsible. In our text, we are alone responsible for holding up to those requirements that Christ gives us, regardless of what everybody else does. This is of itself no easy task, denying of ourselves. Even taking of our cross, which I want to look at the cross next week. But if this is no easy task. Nor could we ever have hopes of successfully denying ourselves without the mercy and grace of God. I hope we're all aware of that. Yet that does not excuse us or exclude ourselves from exercising self-denial. But it should greatly motivate us to this task. You see, I believe here's a divine balance that many Christians, especially those who hold to the doctrines of grace, get out of sorts. They don't know how to keep that divine that balance. Yes, we can't do it without the mercy and grace of God. And yet at the same time, that doesn't exclude us or excuse us from exercising the greatest self-denial. 
Christ says in our text, if any man will come after me, let him, let him, let him deny himself. And not only that, take up his cross. And I won't get into that, but anybody that's been saved for very long knows that himself, the flesh, is, is not a friend to God. It's an enemy. I have no confidence in the flesh. We, we learn that rather quickly as a Christian, don't we not? Uh, when I first got saved, I was amazed that I was still doing things I was, shouldn't have been doing. I thought I was a Christian. I shouldn't be doing that. Uh, it didn't take long before I realized there was an enemy that was always opposing my Christian walk and fellowship with Christ. And it wasn't the world, Satan, and the devil. They're always opposing me. But it was something more closer, more near to me. It was myself. Myself. And like we said last week, self is the greatest opposition to our Christian walk. Self, we see that in our text. Christ says, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be raised the third day. Peter said, no, you're not. Christ says, no. If you actually truly believe that you're going to escape <laughs> suffering for my name's sake, you're mistaken. Because you can never match the level of my suffering for you, but you will suffer. Are you able to drink the same cup as me? He asked his disciples. And the Lord answered the question himself, yeah, you'll drink my cup. What well, was that martyrdom? You'll drink it. But to sit on my right hand and my left hand, that's up to the Father. Christ even said that. Following after Christ, dearly beloved, listen to me, requires great self-denial. And it's something the Christian readily and willingly exercises. Because it's after Christ he's following. We often have very low and often misunderstandings of self-denial. And many times that which we believe to be acts of self-denial, listen to me, only prove to boast or boost and increase self rather than deny self. Think about it. Uh, who can trust his own heart? It's desperately wicked. So what we think to be self-denying acts are often to boost self, not to deny it. We do it for self. I'm sacrificing, just like the Pharisees. You know, when they fasted, they let everybody know about it. When they did something for God, they let everybody know about it. Catholic Church for years did the same thing. They'd whip themselves with cat of nine tails. They'd go hungry without food. Why? <clears throat> they wanted people to think that they were being self-sacrificed, and when in all, in, the, in reality, they were just boosting their self. Do you trust yourself enough to know what self-denying is? Seriously, think about it for a minute. Think about it for a minute. For many things which might appear to be self-denying are in reality motivated by our own selfish desires. Well, I want something from God, so I'm going to fast. Okay. In reality, that's not wrong of itself, but you've got to ask yourself the question, why are you doing that? Is it for Christ and God's honor and glory or for your own? Is it just to fulfill your own desires or is it to glorify God? You see, 
Jeremiah, Jeremiah said the best is, Oh, Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in himself. It's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. I can't do that. And when it comes to this exhortation, this duty, this requirement of self-denial, many times our self-denial, our acts of self-denial are based on selfish reasons. The denying of ourselves is a task, according to our text, given unto us by Christ. Listen to me. Yet more often than not, it is God who chooses the circumstances, the place, and even the things that we are to deny ourselves of. Let that sink in for a minute. The task is given to us. But in most cases, it's God who chooses the circumstances, the place, and even the things that we are to deny ourselves of. He knows better what we need denial of, does he not? Think about that. Think about that for a moment in your own Christian life. The times when God required the greatest self-denial from you were more than likely times that God providentially put you in places to where you were, uh, by his grace, made to see, I need to deny myself here. This is not right. So the task is given to us, but many times, like I said, more times than not, it is God who places us in positions in life providentially to say, okay, now here you need to exercise self-denial. Let me give you an example. And I, I don't I don't want to use anybody else. I'll use myself. This last week when I was at work, there was something said or done that I wasn't quite agreeable with, and I thought, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna voice my opinion on that. And when I thought about that, especially as I was studying this text, I thought, wait a minute, why do I want to voice my opinion on this? Is this the right thing to do, or should I just deny my my flesh wanted to voice it? My flesh eyes, yeah, come on, you have to say something. But I knew it caused turmoil, and I thought, you know what? God give me grace to just keep my mouth shut. And again, I'm giving God the praise. And I'm, I'm using myself as an example. It's a small one, but those are the small things I'm talking about in life that many times it is God who places us providentially in places in our lives that we might exercise true self-denial. Because what we choose to be self-denying is usually not for, uh, for self-denying, it's for self Even in our works, in our labors of love, even in our fellowshipping with one another, listen to me, even in maintaining and cultivating peace and unity amongst the believers, is not self-denial one of the greatest requirements? Think about it. We have to deny ourselves a lot. That's the problem that exists amongst a lot of Christians because they don't. They think too highly of themselves and therefore contention arises because people are thinking too highly of themselves rather than denying themselves. What was the what was the manner? What was the temper? What was Christ's state of mind when he came to earth, humbled himself, walked amongst men for thirty some odd years, 
and then humbled himself before the cross of Christ, allowing others to beat him and all that. What was his state of mind? Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who thought himself not robbery to be equal with God, but uh, he had a mind of a servant. So you see, most of the times we're called to exercise self-denial, it is God choosing of the time. Because when we choose it, it's usually, like I said, for ourselves. Do you know also that it's times of tragedy and sickness and sorrow and tribulation that God uses to show us the blessings of self-denial? We tend to make so much about ourselves and so less about God. An old preacher I heard a couple of weeks ago, uh, done passed and went on to be with the Lord, had a little reading of Scripture there, and he made this comment, something to this fact. He said, the average Christian has no idea the level of self-denial that God requires of a Christian. We think we do, but we have no idea because we think too much of self. So ain't you grateful that God often puts us in circumstances that we might exercise that gift or that task, that requirement of self-denial. Man's heart devises his way. Proverbs 16.9 But the Lord directeth his steps. And you know what? If you'll, if you'll pay close attention in your daily walk with Christ, you'll find out that there are often many times throughout the day God enables us, puts us in circumstances where we can exercise self-denial. And I'm telling you, when it's of his choosing and his place and his circumstances, then it's true self-denial. The majority of what we choose to call self-denial is not. But his is. Should I go there? Should I do that? Should I say this? Mm. We often believe that it's we who choose when and what and how we will deny ourselves. Yet that what we often believe, like I said, to be self-denying is far below that which God himself considers self-denial. Because it has been my experience over 40 years that the greatest times of self-denial come at God's own sovereign choosing, not my own. And said Jesus and disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Greatest example is now Peter. Peter says, no, Lord, you're not going to do that. Be far from thee. Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Immediately after that, Peter's taught the lesson of self-denial. He didn't quite learn the lesson, though, did he? When you consider what happens later on. Oh, all these. All these forsake thee. Not me. I won't do that. Lord said, watch. 
you'll not deny me, not merely once, not merely twice, but you'll deny me three times. And then when that's finished, it's going to teach you a valuable lesson about self-denial. Beloved, this is an exercise which we are faced, like I said, almost daily with. It's denying what we want, what we desire, for maybe the benefit and good of others, but always for the glory of God. And it's something that we should, as Christians, look as a daily task. Because the more we deny ourselves, the more we have of Christ. Amen? Believe it or not, the more we deny ourselves, the more we have of Christ. John, uh, John the Baptist said it best. He said, I must decrease, he must increase. I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. And yet, look at the praise Christ gives him. There is not a man born like John the Baptist. Oh, when we become nothing to ourselves, Christ becomes everything. And you know, it's so much easier to cultivate Christian love and unity and fellowship. So much easier to, to labor in love towards all men when we don't think so highly of ourselves. So let us learn, by God's grace, to deny ourselves. The man will come after me. He will deny himself. For the truth believer, those are very comforting words. Those are encouraging words. Yes, Lord. Why? Because we're coming after Christ. And for those of you who might think this divine exhortation, but lightly, like that old hymn says about the sacrifice of Christ, nor suppose the neglecting of it no evil thing, I want you to notice the words of Christ which follow this exhortation. Verse 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For, listen to it, for, what I just said, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Isn't that amazing? How the Lord, in light of what he said in verse 24 about denying yourself and taking up a cross, he's, he puts that together with your eternal salvation. Oh, here's where a lot of people stumble. Oh, it, it can't mean what he says. It's got to mean something else. No, it means what he says. Let me turn this for a minute to speak to you who know not Christ. You better heed this. Are you listening? You better heed this. You don't deny yourself. You're going to die and go to hell, and you're going to lose your own soul. Are you, are you listening? You see the consequences of not doing this? This is not a light task. This is not something Christ speaks easily of. This is not something that we should take easily. He says, if you're not willing to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, you're going to lose your own soul. I wish that would be part of today's easy believism gospel. 
well, if God don't give him the grace to believe. No, Christ encourages everyone in this text. If you do not exercise the same diligence to deny yourself and take up your cross, you can lose your own soul. For what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? You know there's only one person in the entire universe can answer that? And that's the one who paid the price for a man's eternal soul. That being Jesus Christ. He's asking an impossible question. You don't know the price of your own soul. Christ does, and you know what the price was? His life! He bore your sins! And your transgressions and the wrath of God was laid upon Him for you. What will you give in exchange for that? Nothing. So let me tell you here today, now, at this moment, every moment you continue to deny Christ is a moment closer you're going to turn back and never walk with Christ. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Yet whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. We live in a generation of Christians who are preaching a gospel that is not a gospel. The gospel is a commandment of God to sinners. But, man, but God commandeth men everywhere to repent and turn to Christ. And Christ speaks to His disciples and then uses that same exhortation to speak to every generation. You better realize you need to deny yourself and turn to Christ. Because if you don't, you'll lose your own soul. Christian, this is not an exhortation to be taken lightly. It's one which we need to exercise daily as believers. Denying ourselves and taking up our cross. And yet that which motivates us and that which encourages us to do that is because do it by doing that we draw closer to Christ. And sinner friend, your greatest enemy is not Satan, the world. Your greatest enemy is yourself. It's yourself. Because you refuse to heed the exhortation. Oh, I'm waiting for something great to happen. I'm waiting for a lightning to strike me from heaven, the earth to shake and rumble. That's not going to happen. You know what's going to happen? You're going to hear what you just heard preached. And Christ is going to say, now, do something with that. For if you don't, what shall it profit you if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul? Or what shall you give in exchange for your soul? Oh, I pray that you would heed the warning this morning Christ gives us. Because it's out of love and mercy. Because see, by denying yourself and turning to Christ, the riches of Christ. Eternal life. Oh, may God be merciful to us all. 
and may we heed the exhortation given to us of Christ. And I hope and pray that I'm not spending too much time on this text, but I believe there's just so much in it. I do want to look at the latter part of it next week and take up your cross. There is a cross to bear. Just like Christ bore ours, there's a cross for us to bear. Oh, it can never match his. But it's a Christ God, a cross Christ has given us. Yeah, I don't know what it is for you or me. I know it is for me, maybe, but not for you. Take it up. And as you take it up, as we'll see next week, keep your eyes on Christ and follow him. Too often we take up the cross and we concentrate too much on the cross. It's too heavy, Lord. I can't bear it. I can't bear this cross you've given me. This pain, this suffering, this agony that I'm having, the troubles and trials are too much for me. Christ says, no, you take it. You take it and you follow me. You follow me. Follow me. Amen? Sinner friend, heed the warning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now, Lord, that you would bless the preaching of your word to both saint and sinner. We pray that, Lord, your children would be encouraged to deny self. And, Lord, in every opportunity you give us to do so, Lord, may we not ignore it, but, Lord, may we heed it and listen to what the Spirit saith unto the church and find the blessings of denying ourselves, that we might come after you. And, Lord, those of them this morning who know not Christ, who yet linger, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you'd help them to realize that time is not on their side. That, Lord, today is the day of salvation. And, Lord, I pray that you'd convict their hearts. Turn them to thee. Let them see your glorious salvation in the light of their sinfulness and wickedness. And, Lord, may they find grace and mercy in you. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.